0: Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some stories are profound, challenging, and emotional, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. All of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, a different woman shares her story, often in a live setting, with the bottom line being that God is good. Today, we'll hear Lindsay share her story of loving and supporting her husband through the difficulties of addiction. Now, as you'll hear, she's very transparent about what it's like to face the hard realities of an addiction and its effect on what she thought was a picture-perfect marriage. But as you'll hear, when you invite God into the battle and the process of healing, you find hope and redemption in the aftermath. So if you or your spouse or anyone in your life is in the middle of battling addiction, do not give up. Victory might be just around the corner, or it could be years down the road. But what you probably need to hear is God loves you and is with you every step of the way. So let's tune into Lindsay's story
1: most powerful, one of the most powerful questions you can ask someone is, what's your story? And um, within a couple of minutes of meeting Robin, that's what she asked me. Um, I think it values um, someone's journey. I think that it honors um, just your purpose. um, And it kind of makes you look in and connect things that maybe you didn't before. And um, I, am really, really grateful that you guys are here cause, um, you guys are on the front lines. Um, women, we're in the front lines of our relationships. We're kind of the backbones and, um, you each have a really powerful story and, um, I think that God has so much of himself. Um, His heart is so big and intricate, and he has so many just facets and angles of his face that we all carry um, just part of him. And so when we get to hear different things, um, we get to see maybe part of him we didn't know before and cling to that. So um, I'm just excited to maybe give you a little bit of... um, of him, uh, through me. And, um, because y'all are on the front lines, I just want this morning, just this little time to be yours in a respite and for him to serve your heart. Um, he's really good at that. So, um, I kind of by nature am like more of a writer. Um, I promise I'm not going to read you my story. That would be kind of, um, <laughs> But, but, um, uh, random thought also right now, this is probably all against speaking rules, but ragweed is a real thing. And my husband did not believe me, but all this, it is not a cold, it is ragweed and it really will feel like the flu. So that's what that is. Ragweed is poison. Um, he was like ragweed. It's real. So Anyway, um, a a little while ago, in what I would call the crash of my life, um, I had no words for a really long time. I was just a skeleton. I was a shell. And then um, as the Lord started putting stuff back into me, um, I'm just kind of a person that will be in a, a, a moment or in a season and we'll soak everything in for a long time and then god will like wake me up in the middle of the night and i'll just have to write stuff down um and i did that uh i don't know like a year ago maybe and so when I, when robin asked me to share today um i kind of thought about what i had written down about a year ago and i thought i would just open up with that um everyone has a highlight reel the initial elements of the person a people's a person sees when they first meet someone sometimes that highlight reel is all people see. I could just give you the surface facts. The fact that I grew up in Birmingham, went to college at Auburn, graduated in 2006 with a degree in social work, moved to St. Simons Island, Georgia, fell in love with a local businessman, got married, had two blonde little boys, and moved back to Birmingham to be closer to family two years ago. And everything I've described is the truth. It's what the world might see from the outside. But if you tear away that thin veil that reflects those highlights, you'll find a heart. And even though it is a whole heart, I have already cried. <laughs> you good to be sitting in this spot on the other side of it and to see what he's done. It's just good. You'll notice all the cracks and scar tissue connecting the hundreds of tiny fragments that were pieced back together. I never could have found all those pieces. It took a supernatural love to do that. I have a story about a savior who chased me down with his faithfulness and carried me away from the edge of a pit. It was at that edge of that pit that he found me two years ago, crumpled on the ground, laying amongst the rubble of my shattered heart. Gasping for a breath of hope and frantically searching for reasons. I didn't want to fall in. I had been beaten up and wounded in spirit. I had fought a brutal battle, trying to prevent my world from crashing. But it crashed anyway. I had witnessed addiction slowly consume my beloved counterpart. And it had cunningly destroyed our lives from the inside out. A violent war was relentlessly saturating every sacred piece of my life, and the decision to release myself from the front lines of the battlefield to step out of the ring had left me in such screaming pain that I felt gutted. But. And in my journal I wrote, but, with a period, and then space. But. Because Jesus is alive, Because he is a mighty deliverer. A restored heart now pumps victory and freedom through my spiritual veins. And I want you to know about this God more than anything. This God who put every piece of me back together and is making all things new. He is my beloved, and this is our story. It's true that I moved back to Birmingham to be closer to family two years ago, but that's the non gritty explanation. Our world as we knew it had crashed. My husband was falling headfirst into a full-blown addiction spiral, and I was left with no option but to load my then four-year-old son and five-month-old baby boy and drive away from what was, metaphorically, a bloody, gruesome war zone. It was the week before Thanksgiving. Choosing gratitude that Thanksgiving was the most painful, desperate feeling. But it was a choice that defined that season of my life, and it ended up saving me. Um, well, that was two years ago. And sometimes I just go back, um, because I kind of get to live on the other side. But he'll take you back to that feeling of desperation just to remind you, um, that he's your source and he's faithful. Um, so what I mostly want to share with you today is those two years, um, the past two years, um, those chapters. James had always had a, a struggle with um, pill addiction and things in the past. When I met him, that's what he had dealt with and had been sober for a, while, a long time and um, you know had a testimony about that. So when he um, would have these binge drinking episodes, you know, addiction's a funny thing. (sighs) Funny is probably not a good word, but, um, the nature of it is very conniving and it usually starts out very kind of can be justified very easily. And, um, it's kind of like when you're on the other side of it, for me as a spouse, um, it was like, okay, it's okay. You know, it was just, one beer or he just got out of control a little bit and he would always like crash after you know a day or a night and then he would be very sorry and i mean to the point of tears and would get back in touch with his sponsor and the spiritual fathers in his life because james knew the lord um And um, James had experienced a lot of redemption. And so, you know, every time it would happen, I wanted it to be the last time. I wanted his words of saying, this is it, I'm done, I'm okay. I wanted that to be true so bad, because when you're on the side of it I was on, um, what's at stake if it's not true that he's okay? What's at stake is so high. The level of loss um, is so much that you really want to do anything to avoid that level of pain. Um, So he would have these spirals, but then be fine three months, six months, and pills weren't involved. And I kept telling myself that, well, his real problem is pills, you know, and, but then he got a DUI and um, things got a little more like, But still, you know, the cost of we owned a business, that was our livelihood. Um, He had been in a long-term program before, so the thought of if that's what he needs, if that's what needs to happen, the thought of that was extremely terrifying for me, Um, thinking about how I would do it on my own with the boys, what would happen to the business, How long would he need to be there? What if it didn't work? And so for years, we went through this. Like, it might might have gone eight months, but then something would happen again. And then, you know, this was all kind of happening in the background. And what I understand now is James did have deliverance from this. But there were roots of things. And part of a process... That we still rooted deep down, that when the busyness of our lives and when the stress of running a business and having a family and you know, when you have dealt with that kind of thing, you have to stay connected. You have to stay in community. Like you have to stay humble and vulnerable. Um, and so, really, just busyness, you know, took over, and um, those things that were still rooted became strongholds in his mind. And it was like, well, I can have a beer. You know, know, they have a glass of wine with dinner. That guy has a beer when he fishes. But James can't, you know. James can't. Um, So I wanted to believe for a long time that he could. Um, But then when I realized, okay, the DUI and realized the amount of years and times these cycles were going on and just – The pain I went through, and, you know, those are details for another day. It was just like, okay, he can't. So um, um, all that led up to what I call the crash. Um, There was a night that I texted my friend, and I was like, you know, something's not right. I, I don't know. James is sober. But he has, it had been a year at this point um, where it wasn't just drinking his mental state. It wasn't James. Um, something, you know, it wasn't James. And so we had had a new baby. And once again, I mean, for him to leave and for us to really face what he needed to get help was scary. And so I think I avoided that. Um, but this night I was like, I texted my friend, I was like, Will you pray for me? I just feel like there's this kind of something hovering over our home, and James is okay tonight. I I don't know. It's just been really hard at work, and something's not right. And something in his face wasn't right. And the next morning he walked out the door, and I just kind of had this eerie, hmm. And then I heard about 10, I don't know, five minutes later, I heard sirens and I knew I was like, James is either dead or he's been in something horrific, but this involves James and I just stayed calm. And the Lord just started speaking to me and kind of preparing me because I had to get Isaiah to preschool and I had a, a baby I was feeding and I got him ready, got Isaiah ready, walked out the door. And as we approached the end of the street, I knew when I turned on that that's where I was going to see ambulances. That's that's what I was going to see. So I turn onto the street. I'm driving down. I start praying. And I call James, and he answers, and it was weird. He was like, I was like, hey, I heard sirens, you know, and I was about to go over the bridge. And I just wanted to be prepared for what I was going to see, and I didn't expect him to answer. And he said, hey, oh, it's okay. It's just a little fender bender. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's okay. And then he hung up, and I was like, hmm. So I keep driving, and I witnessed this crumpled-up car that scared me so badly. And lots of police, lots of people standing around, and James on the side. With his hands arms kind of crossed and didn't look like him in his face. And he just kind of waved, and I kept driving, and I, I dropped off Isaiah, and I knew I had to drive back, and I felt so sick. And um, at that point, James was in a cop car. They wouldn't let me talk to him, so I kept driving. And all of these, you know, I, I was getting phone calls and this and that, and I was just gutted, and I just had this. And I was like, this is it this is it. In reality, all just, um, and what had happened was, um, he wasn't drinking. Um, he had been prescribed things I didn't know. Um, and if he had, it was justified. And, um, he wasn't abusing, you know, it, he was texting and he wasn't in his right mind and he rear-ended someone and, Praise the Lord, no one. Um, I didn't know at that point if who got hurt would live or die. Um, they are alive. They are fine. They are gracious. And um, But um, James ultimately caused that wreck. And um, I was faced with um, my James. Every dream that God had spoken over us, everything God said, fire would come but he said the green would come I didn't know if that was true at that moment and I didn't know what I had done in this family I didn't know um, that's what I was talking about in my journal I didn't um, everything shattered the ministry the it was like what is this Um, is he a criminal you know is is he is everything a lie is the James I met even a James like is that a thing (laughs) Um, and I drove to my best friend's house who lived close by and her dad is one of our pastors and who's known James for years and walked with him and his family and loved James. And, um, I handed her the baby and I just fell to my knees and I said, he's gone. And I knew he was physically alive, but I was like, he's gone. And at that moment I faced it all. And, um, It was kind of like that crumpled car I saw to the left and James standing on the right of that bridge and James telling me, oh, it's just a fender bender. But I was looking at the reality that it's not. (laughs) It's a wreck. It's destroyed. Um, I was like, that's addiction. You know, you'll tell yourself and he'll tell himself, it's not a big deal. It's just a little fender bender. We'll get through it. Well, you know, we'll get it fixed. It's not a fender bender it was full blown addiction. Um, and he was spiraling. So I had been in the ring. I call it the boxing ring. I'd been in it for a long time. And you think you have power. You think you're keeping things together. You're not. (laughs) And, um, God just kind of released me not from the marriage. I didn't know enough, not from, he released me from being in this situation and, you know, um, I over the next couple of days, I had friends. because James was in jail, and um, I had friends that um, came, and I couldn't do anything. I was literally a skeleton, just numb with pain, if that's even a thing. And we loaded up the boys, and they got me on my way. And there's more details in that. Um, but that was the crash and after that james spent three months in full-blown wasn't trying to hide it um i didn't know i i gave up my phone um and i didn't know i mean the choice at that point was you go to a long-term program you face this or you know we we won't come home and that is not anything i'd ever put on the table fully and um so he had a choice to make, and for three months, he didn't make a choice. He just stayed in 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 that dark, dark spot, and I didn't know if he was going to live. I knew enough about addiction. I'd been around it enough. I'd been on the, like, hanging, like, done this street ministry for long enough, and I'd experienced my own struggles that I knew, you know— um, he could kill somebody else accidentally, he could kill himself. Um, I didn't know if I'd get a call from a policeman saying he's in a ditch or we found him at home. He didn't make it, you know, I didn't know. So I spent three months not knowing. And, uh, during that time, um, I want to be respectful to time. I'll just kind of get to the better stuff. Um, during that time, there was a night I woke up, and night was probably the hardest. Um, because during the day, people were trying to keep me busy. I went to my parents' home here in Alabama and um, tried to have normalcy. And, um, but at night, I would wake up, and my 4-year-old my at the time, who never slept with us, you know, he slept with me in my bed that I'd grown up in, and the baby would sleep kind of in the next room and the baby was still getting up in the middle of the night to eat. And this one night I woke up and, um, the baby needed to eat. And just the reality and the emptiness and the pain of not having James and not knowing what was true and not knowing if James was going to come back, um, not knowing if this addiction, what it would look like on this side of heaven for him and for us. I knew nothing. Um, the baby was crying and I went into the room and I just stood there and looked at him in the crib and I said God I can't do this my baby needs to be fed I have nothing I have nothing and he said lift up your hands and I did and he says worship me he says praise me he says, I am good. I am faithful. I am who I have always told you that I am. It has not changed. So I lifted up my hands, and I looked at my baby. And I mean, it, this is what changed me forever. I could feel, him. I could feel like what he had talked about, like there will be fire. But I heard him in this verse that I had known before, but I I heard him. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And then it goes on in Isaiah 43, verse 19. It says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And the river of God just flowed. As I lifted up my hands, he just flowed. And he says, I am your source. You are not okay because James is okay. You are not not okay because James is not okay. You are okay because I am your daughter. You are equipped. This living water that I am pouring into you right now is enough to feed your baby. He says, pick up your baby and feed your baby. And I did. And I sat with God and I said that I'm done. I am done with fear. My very worst fear for the past decade has happened. Um, People know how much James struggles. People know how much I'm struggling. Um, Everything that you have spoken to me, I have doubted. The ministry that was like a baby to me, I have had to leave it. Um, I've had to leave my home. I've had to leave my community. I am, I don't have anything. And he says, I'm your home. He says, you're okay, And I was, and and I got up from that rocking chair and I laid back down and I was like, okay. I said, if I lose my husband and have to, if he's in a grave, if I have to visit, if he's in prison, if this ends, I, I don't know, but God, God is good. God is not a liar. The truth is still the truth. That wreck did not change that. And so I just, I made a decision. Um, James did decide um, to go to the foundry here. Um, When I saw him for the very first time, I didn't realize what that three months had done. Um, He was a skeleton physically, basically, and he just wept when he saw me. And um, I had agreed to see him before he went in to the foundry because I didn't know. I just did. And um, he just kept saying, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And that's all he could say. And it still wasn't James. I didn't know who that was. But I knew knew that the Lord had raised Lazarus from the dead. I knew that he spoke to, I think it was Ezekiel, (laughs) in Ezekiel. And he says, speak to those dry bones and... This is my favorite, which I don't have a real Bible in front of me, but I did screenshot this. (sighs) Hope that's spiritual enough, you know. (laughs) (laughs) he put my flesh back on. He's still putting it on a little bit at a time. <clears throat> and because James, and this is the thing, James did decide to go to a long-term program. Um, it takes probably nine, uh, what I've heard is it's about three months for once you detox and get out all this out of your system, which James had everything in there. It's about three months for your brain to start getting back Um And then after that, you need to see six months of, like, a process of just constant humility. And then after a year, you can kind of look at it and be like, okay, let's evaluate. So I was looking at just because he stepped into the foundry was not for me like, oh, we're good. Mm -mm." So I did. I watched him go through a process of humility. I watched him grasp this thing, um, what he had kind of half-hearted taken before he took And he had his um, thing with God. He, He was away from the community he had always grown up in. Everything that comforted him, the business that gave him identity, because James didn't have, he graduated high school, but he didn't have a college degree. He didn't, like, this is what he did. This is how he provided for his family. That's what had made him feel like I'm good enough to have a family. I'm, you know, God tore all that down, took all that away, and said, No, you're my son. That is what makes you equipped. (laughs) So take all that away. You're good. So here I am. I'm good. And then James is learning, he just, heard like God told Abraham, leave. Leave, you know, go to the foreign land and I will, you know, I will bless you. And and James heard that. He was like, you know, I left it all. And he submitted himself to a process. Um, but it wasn't fun. It's still not fun all the time at all. Um, I dealt with a lot of trauma. We dealt with a lot of things. We're still dealing with a lot of things. Um, we had to find another job. Um, Miracles have happened. Um, I've seen him. He didn't know Finn. Finn didn't know him. So that was really hard to go visit him. He was living at the foundry for nine months. And um, Finn didn't know who he was. So that was another dream. Just, you know. But I watched fatherhood embrace him again because he was really knowing his identity and really knowing who the father was. And so he was able to parent his boys and... I watched them embrace him, and I watched a relationship, you know, form again for Isaiah and build for Finn, and that was a miracle, and, you know, he gave them a job, and then this is kind of what I'll end with is that he, recently he gave us a home, And my precious friend, we were house hunting, and, you know, um, when things have been stripped from you, and you're used to that, and when you've been in a cycle of addiction, and I mean, because I was the co-addict, you know, I was part of that cycle, too. When things never last, I was really scared to get to that point where James was good. Not good, but I mean, we're at a point, and he had been going through this long enough that we were able to step into a home as a family together. And it was terrifying. And my friend gave me this verse. um, And Joel, and part of it said, Look, I'm sending you new grain and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery. Because y'all, addiction mocked me. It mocked me. It mocked what the Lord had said over me. It mocked what um, he had spoken over James And I love that. You will no longer be an object of mockery, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. So we closed on this house, and we go to the backyard after we closed. And this house has, like, physical grapevines. And they said, and they hadn't started bearing fruit until that week of our closing, and so I'm standing in the yard, still terrified, because it's like, you know, Christ is still our foundation, but we're going to have a mortgage now. It's like, God, like, I really need, like, that, like, is real now. Like, you're my provider, like, emotionally, But you know, God, we need to pay our mortgage, <laughs> you know. So we're standing in the yard, I see the grapevines, and he, that was it. Once again, he was like... I have given you a, a sign from heaven, you know, you will bear fruit. These grapes are on the vine because of me. Like, you you attach to me. I am your source. And that's kind of where we stand today. Um, Jeremiah 17, 8 says, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes that fire. <laughs> but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. John seven thirty-eight, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And I this is what I want to say about addiction, just to end this. Um I would still be sitting here in this chair because of God. If James didn't choose to go to the foundry, I would still be victorious. I would still be have a story of victory because he works all things for good for those who love him. He will finish. He will continue to work out his plans and his purposes. I am still his daughter. So the most important thing about what I have said is not that James is sober. It's not that James—it is beautiful. It is—gosh, thank God— <laughs> But that is not why I'm sitting here victorious. That's not why I'm sitting here with a whole heart. And so that's what I want you to to encourage you with is he is our source. He is our address. You can take everything away. Like a circumstance can steal everything out from under your feet. And he's your home. And whatever that baby is in your life (laughs) That's calling you in the middle of the night, not a physical baby, maybe, but whatever that is that you need, still need, and you don't have it in you to do that ministry, that your, your children, a relationship, a fight, you know, that still needs to be fought. He is your source. Just raise up your hands and worship him and let him do the rest.
0: Wow. Thanks for listening to Lindsay's story today. It seems that every week, whoever is sharing their story, it's their own personal story. And yet we all are walking away with something that God's put on our heart, even if we haven't had the same experience and maybe can't even relate. It's just neat to see God show up for us each individually um, and impress something in our hearts. If you want to learn more about Storytellers or to find our show notes, you can visit our website at StorytellersLive.org. That's StorytellersLive.org. And also, if you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to share our podcast with your friends and also rate us on iTunes. It is so helpful to have those ratings. It helps get the word out for the podcast. So thanks for listening, and we can't wait for you to join us next week with a new story of God's goodness.